because Florida is so big, you know, unless somebody really comes in with like a $20 million check to do statewide voter registration, it's really about those surgical areas in the state to find where we can have the most impact, knowing that our budget is not going to be very big. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Starting a new political organization is not easy. With everything else to do, there can also be a lot of politics to navigate. My guest today, Adrian Bogan, has been working on doing that with her voter registration group, Florida Ground Game. She's targeting competitive legislative districts after discovering how far Democrats are behind in registering their voters in key areas of Florida. Adrian has been working on organizing for a while, including President Joe Biden's 2018 Iowa caucus campaign and Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential, as well as Florida races like Bill Nelson and Andrew Gillum, as well as campaigns in a number of other states. We had a good talk about Adrian's path to political entrepreneurship and what challenges she's still seeking to overcome to get things done in Florida. So first my sponsor, then my interview with Adrian Bogan of Florida Ground Game. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Time Plots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Time Plots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Adrian, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yes. I am a Florida political operative. I've been living here in the state of Florida for about 11, 12 years. been working in Florida politics for about eight, um, originally from the best city in the world, Seattle, Washington. And uh, currently I'm living in the Tampa Bay area with my husband and two dogs and our sourdough starter, which is now a living creature in our house. <laughs> hmm. That has got to be the first time anyone has introduced their sourdough starter. <laughs> yeah. Typical millennial that I started bread baking during COVID. So now it's one of the children in our house next to the dogs. Yeah. When I was a kid, we would sometimes grind our own grain and make bread. So it was like, you know, it was... Uh, late 60s, early 70s. So I love that. You by a half a century. But <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Seattle political family, did you grow up in? You know, honestly, not really. I was not really super involved in politics growing up. I was raised in a single parent household. My mom worked quite a lot. And so we spent a lot of time with my grandparents, of course, as they helped out. And I think probably like a lot of people, the kind of max political was dinner table conversations with my grandparents, um, just about current events and 
things like that. But outside of really just those everyday conversations you kind of have with your family, not, not, I do not come from a political background. So were you a good student? I like to think I was, um, I feel like I have some teachers and professors who might disagree, but, um, I was a pretty good student, you know, loved, I loved school and learning and I probably for better or sometimes worse, I'm just a really curious person. And so, um, I think in most cases, 99% of cases, I think it was an, an okay student. You go off to college? Yeah. Um, that actually brings me on to Florida. I went to a uh, private religious school, uh, Trinity College in Florida. And I'll say that's probably where my political interest took more shape because I was really surrounded with a lot of people who just had different opinions coming from you know, pretty progressive city at the time, moving and migrating down to the South. It was a little eye-opening for me. A little bit of culture shock, probably just across the board moving to the South. But that was really kind of the place where I started, probably like everybody else, you just kind of think on your own and you start developing your own opinions on things. And it really kind of has to do with what you're surrounded by and, you know, what your friends are interested in and and things like that. But um, that's really kind of where I think my political interests started taking place. Why did you pick a private religious school? You know, so at the time I was really interested in history and they had a great history program. And also I really wanted to go to school out of state. And um, we had some friends uh, who lived in Florida. And so I kind of had those personal connections and at the time, I mean, at 17, 18, it just sounded so exotic moving to Florida, made the jump and I loved my time there and made some really great, um, you know, friendships and, and things like that. But um, it was a very interesting move. And also, I'll say growing up, I wouldn't say my family was religious, but we definitely went to church on Sundays. And um, my brother's actually um, now a pastor in Cleveland. So I, growing up, we were religious, but I myself was not overly religious. And so just kind of at the time, it seemed like a really great move and really exciting. And it's kind of how I got my introduction into Flor- just Florida in general, but especially kind of an entryway into Florida politics. How did you enter Florida politics? I was living in Jacksonville and I had a friend who was working um, on Terry McAuliffe's previous campaign who I met uh, in in Jacksonville. It's kind of a small world. And he literally sent me a job posting for Charlie Crist was looking for field organizers. And I was really just kind of living on the beach surfing. I, I loved it. But I just thought, oh, wow, this sounds so interesting. You know, I, at that time, was really interested in getting more involved. So I thought this is a great kind of entry into the political world. And so... I packed up my bags from Jacksonville and um, moved down to Broward County. And I was organizing in um, Sunrise, Tamarack area for Charlie Chris when he was running for governor in 2014. That was my very first job as an organizer, my very first job in Florida politics, Um, had really no clue. I had no understanding of kind of the scale 
that a statewide campaign in Florida calls for. And especially when you're in Broward County, that's just like a completely different kind of a beast. And so that was my entry into Florida politics. And it was very wild. And of course, we lost that race. But something about organizing, something about the data element of crafting a universe and figuring out turnout and how do you win specific precincts, that was really, really interesting to me. And so really after that, I started bouncing around just because I was so interested. I wanted to get you know a ton of experience really quickly because I really loved it. So what was next? Election days in November, January, I was on the road to San Antonio. I got picked up as an organizer for um, a mayoral candidate um, there who lost the primary. And then after that, I headed up to Virginia and worked for uh, a guy named John Bell, who was running for delegate in Loudoun County. It was his third time running. He had lost twice before by like 80 votes. It was really close. And it was actually one of my favorite races I ever worked on. Why? For one, it was my first time running my own program. At the time, I thought it was massive. Um, You know, you get the role as field director for the first time. And it's so exciting because you're running your own program. And um, it was for a really competitive race. Um, It was a pretty expensive race. And the candidate was incredible. Just the nicest guy. I definitely want to plug John Bell because I think he was knocking like 1500 doors a week. I mean, that's a great candidate who's willing to do that on top of all the fundraising time. And I was so interested because it was just so competitive and we won and it was the first race I'd won. And it was close. I think we won by maybe 300 votes, maybe a little bit more, but it was great. And, you know, of course, we're recording this after election night in Virginia. But at the time, it was also very fascinating because, um, you know, back in 2015, Virginia's ecosystem was really about investment in local races. And I I loved that, like the state party structure, the independent expenditure infrastructure, the DC culture right there. I mean, everyone is so um, invested in down ballot races. And so um, our little race got a lot of national attention. It got a lot of money. We had a ton of organizations come in to knock doors, you know, in the final month or so. I mean, it was great. And I mean, I just loved it. I feel like I probably have talked too much about this like tiny delegate race, but I loved it. You're kind of apprenticing in a certain way in the political ecosystem, your learning skills. It's one of the interesting types of jobs in the country where it's really a lot more about experience than about credentials. You don't need a particular degree necessarily, but you need to have like done it enough to understand how to do it and have opinions about how to do it. At this point, when you're starting to run a pro- running program yourself, did you have theories developing about what makes doing that job well, running field for a, a campaign? I wouldn't say theories because back then, it, and I laugh now because that district is like maybe 19 or 20 precincts. It's, of course, it's like really small. And back then it was, the size of the world to me, you know, because it's the first time you're kind of doing it on your own. I think the part I really liked about it, and I think the thing I started learning during my time 
on that race is that if you're going to stay on the field side of campaigns, you really have to learn to do everything really well. Because when you're running your own program, you're the field director, you're the data director, you're the training director, you're all of these roles in one. And I think that that's a really good thing. When I talk to people just kind of starting out and wanting to move up you know, the political ladder on the field side, I always say, go and run your own program for a local race, because that's when you really start, you know, tightening your skills, you really start kind of learning how to do things, because you kind of have to, if you look at that versus a statewide campaign, where you've got all these other departments built out to support your work, you like, you know, if you just do those large scale campaigns, you really miss out on the skills. So I wouldn't say theories, other than I will say I came out of that race, knowing that, man, you really have to just knock on a ton of doors if you're going to win. I mean, there's all these bells and whistles, but at the end of the day, you have to have the face-to-face conversations, especially if it's going to be a competitive race. I feel like that was my my one theory. And that's probably not like a fancy or a sexy theory, but I'm a firm believer that knocking doors wins elections. Well, also, it depends on what you say when you get there, right? And who you send and how well-trained they are and all of those pieces of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's, I mean, really equally as important as actually making the face-to-face connection is, you know, what neighborhoods are you going to? Who are you talking to? It's your point. Who's the messenger? You know, I mean, these are all equally as important as just the knock on the door. Our little district in Loudoun County, it was actually pretty diverse. And of course I had worked in Broward County before too, but um, it's just so it, it, that piece is just so important. Yeah. After that, what did you move to? After that, I did um, Hillary Clinton in Florida. A lot of fun, of course, heartbreaking. So that's the 2016. What was your role down there? Um, I was a regional field director in St. Petersburg. After that race, I really stayed in Florida. So I was in St. Petersburg for Hillary. And then I stayed in St. Petersburg for Mayor Rick Kreisman's re-election campaign uh, of St. Petersburg and ran his field program. And then um, into 2018, I ran field for Mayor Philip Levine when he was running for governor in the primary in 2018. And then in 2018 in the general, I ran the coordinated field program for uh, Mayor Andrew Gillum and Senator Bill Nelson. And then stayed on through the recount. Uh, tell me about that particular race, which was, uh, God, the two close statewide heartbreaking, crucial losses. Yeah. I mean, ugh, how much time do you have? I feel like we could probably talk days and days about it. It was just sheer madness, I think, is the way to say it. And I, I think, you know... <sighs> Florida's primary is so late. So, you know, Andrew Gillum wins the very end of August. And then it's September. And I was brought on, I think, the second week of September. And then that I started on, you know, Monday. And it was day one. Okay, we have to hire 400 people by the end of the week because there was really not a lot of internal structure on the ground because that gubernatorial primary was pretty competitive. It was very hard. I mean, having to scale 
a program in a state like Florida in that timeline. I mean, it was just, it was just madness. Because even 400 people, the hiring of that is just daunting. But I mean, I was talking to someone uh, about Georgia runoff and they hired nearly 3000 people for a statewide in no time there, not a week, but like, it feels like something should be in place earlier through the state party or through, you know, like how can we put ourselves in that position to put a young person, even with the kind of, you know, multiple campaign experience that you had by that time, you know, with that kind of statewide hiring responsibility and, or, you know, organizing responsibility. I, I can't even, that would scare the crap out of me. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. And I, I will say there were organizations in state that had hired early, which was like the, the only saving grace, like the Florida democratic party had good staff on that could just fold in and some other in-state organizations that were so helpful. Um, SEIU was really helpful at sending folks and also, what was great about Mayor Andrew Gillum is he had this incredible volunteer infrastructure that was really great to hire on as well. But I mean, if you're talking about like, okay, we got a hundred people in door, we have 300 more people we got to find. It's tough to your point. It's hiring, it's training, and then getting these people out the door as quickly as possible to go talk to voters. You're really pushing the end of September and early October. And then by that point, Ballots are dropping. Early voting is two weeks out. So the timeline is very tight. Um, And it's just tricky for these states that have these light primaries. And of course, we've got, you know, another competitive primary coming up next year, too. And I think I definitely want to shout out Organizing Together, which really tried to work through this last year. And I think you actually spoke with Anatole. I listened to your guys' conversation, who who had a big hand in that program, but I thought that was so great because, you know, coming off of 2018, the stress of that, of hiring for that program alone was just so intense and like not even including the internal pressure of two top of the ticket candidates that are going to win or lose by half a point and, and just the pressure that that brings, it was just enormous. And so long story short, it was just brutal. It was so, so brutal um, and of course the loss was brutal too. It's just a classic Florida tale of needing to do a million things right and not being able to win without doing all of those things right. And even through the, the recount, it was just brutal. And then just kind of ending. Instead of Gillum, who inspired a lot of people, we get DeSantis, right? By 36,000 votes or something like that. And the course of the nation is different, right? Like by this, you know, the margin that field makes a difference sometimes, right? Did that weigh heavy on you personally? I mean, obviously the, there's so many players, but I mean, did you take it personally? I think it's hard not to take it personally. I definitely took it personally. And I think what's really tough about this work is that it's truly the weight of the world is on your shoulders because the direct outcome of your work product is going to affect so many people. I felt really responsible for the staff we had on because we had, I mean, so many people 
working so hard to win, I felt responsible for the volunteers, of course, similar situation, but then really quickly observing how DeSantis was going to move forward in the state of Florida with the legislation he was going to push and, you know, the candidates he was going to endorse, the appointments he was going to make. There's definitely like a personal responsibility that I I felt. And I think that, I mean, there's a whole conversation kind of in recent politics around, you know, the mental health of staffers. And I think it's an important conversation to be had, but I mean, to your question, absolutely. Especially, you know, having some amazing candidates really up and down the ballot as well. And then kind of thinking like, oh my gosh, there's just, we just have to find 35,000 votes. Like that's so few and then not doing it. It's just, you definitely feel responsible, which is probably something I have to work through on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you're not responsible, but we're all part of this system. Does it make you think about that primary? Like, he won that primary in an upset 34, 31, something like that over Graham. Some people feel like it doesn't matter that much who we nominate, what their ideology is. You know, everybody's in their corners now and it's more party label than anything else. Other people would say, you know, that nominating him energized a bunch of people and we got better turnout for that reason. Other people would say that, you know, if we picked a more moderate candidate, that that might've won the race. Like nobody can run that experiment more than one way. And I don't know that that argument can, you know, in, in a particular election can be fully settled. Like there might be political science that can say generally you're better off nominating a certain type. Do you think if we'd run a different candidate, uh, would have gone different or worse or better? You know, that's like the question and people still, I mean, four, almost four years later, people still ask that question. I was not working for Andrew Gillum in the primary and I really loved the candidate that I work for who was very moderate. I just don't know. And to your point of, you know, you get one test to see the outcome and there's so many what could have been, we had, you know, Bill Nelson top of the ticket as well. And there are areas that Bill, that in the state of Florida, really only Bill Nelson does well in like North Florida, the panhandle. And, um, and we did not do well in those precincts and those counties that typically go for Bill Nelson. And he is courses as really as moderate as you can get um, in the state of Florida. So I just, I'm not convinced, but I know that that is, a pretty controversial statement. Yeah. Uh, they both lost by very narrow amounts, slightly differently. Right. But yeah, I mean, almost, almost is a test of that theory, having them run side by side after you recovered from that. What'd you do? After I recovered. Um, I, I will say my body just like after the recount, my body just like gave out on me. I got the worst flu, cold, sinus. I mean, I was like out. My body just like gave up on me. Um, After that, I fled back to local politics and (laughs) worked on Tampa Mayor Jane Castor's election campaign, which was so much fun coming off of that recount. Had a blast. She's, of course, incredible. Um, Was not super competitive, was just a really wonderful local race. And then for better, for worse, after that, I 
moved up to Iowa and ran President Joe Biden's field program for the Iowa caucus in 2020. I was actually the first person on the ground in Iowa for Joe Biden. And if I remember correctly, he did not win that. No, he didn't. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, it was not. Man, we got clobbered in Iowa, to say the least. So (laughs) tell me about that, though. That's I mean, so there's your second presidential. But now Iowa running the field for what turns out to be the eventual nominee and the former vice president. That's got to be a pretty interesting experience, too. It was so wonderful but also so awful at the same time. Um, It was my first time in Iowa, first time dealing with caucus. It was so fascinating. I learned a lot. Kind of the coolest part about it is that you're running and competing against these other incredible programs. And you, of course, you know all the people who are running them. Probably my favorite part of Iowa was being able to compete against peers who were running absolutely, I mean, incredible programs. And I actually learned a lot from my peers in that state. On the flip side, it was a massive pressure cooker. The internal politics of needing to win, of like running on fumes and needing needing the momentum coming from that win to get you to the next state, like that, that kind of pressure is something that was new to me. And then we lost, which was very sad. <laughs> so it, it was an experience to say the least. And then of course, you know, post Iowa, the whole world changed. So it was kind of the last real campaign in person I worked on. I worked on Hillary's campaign in 2007, eight, which did not go tremendously well in Iowa. And I was back in headquarters doing tech. So really not out there, but like, got a little bit of a sense of things. I just wonder like how you were feeling about the other candidates. There was like 26 candidates. I liked almost all of them personally. And back in uh, 07, 08, I, it was hard not to like Obama. You know, he was just running a wonderful campaign and a very appealing person. Who did you look at, you know, and say, wow, they, that's a that's a great candidate. One always has a, a loyalty to your own captain, but yeah. What were you thinking? I feel like I'm going to throw myself out on the bus here. I I always knew I wanted to work for Joe Biden and was kind of waiting out to see what would happen. Um, but when we were in Iowa, I always kind of had an eye towards Harris. I think that she is a great candidate. They were running an incredible program. I was just really kind of impressed when I saw her in person and how she really worked a room. I was just always really impressed by Harris. And to your point, I mean, there was just so many incredible candidates. And um, on top of that, it was, you know, competing against candidates that had way more hype, way more enthusiasm, could create just organic momentum the kind of momentum, organic momentum, enthusiasm that was really hard for, you know, Joe Biden. I remember this one weekend, um, I think it was Elizabeth Warren's campaign had Jonathan Van Ness coming to stump for her from Queer Eye. And like at the same weekend we had, 
I want to say like John Kerry coming and it was like, all right, we got to recruit, you know, these two events were like right next to each other. And it was like, we got to recruit hundreds of people next to this like really exciting event with a, you know, a pop culture icon. At the time, it was very hard to compete against these, you know, candidates and to their credit are amazing. And they uh, just have so much organic enthusiasm that you really need in the Iowa caucus. So so many people appealing to different segments. It's hard to find your spot, especially when you're like maybe everybody's fourth choice or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly it. It was interesting to say the least. Um, it was very interesting. I cannot say I would ever go back to Iowa, but I feel like everyone says that and then eventually you find your way back. But um, but I'm very happy I did it and very happy to be back in Florida. <laughs> did you stay with the Biden campaign? post? Yeah. Funny enough, um, I was actually supposed to get married about a month and a half after the caucus. I, after we lost, drove as quickly as I could back to Florida and then um, was taking time off to get married. And then about a month after the caucus, coronavirus hit and everything started shutting down. And so um was in Florida for a couple of months before I jumped back on. And then I actually stayed on Biden and helped out here in Florida with the constituency program. And I will say that once I got home from Iowa, I was really burned out, I think is the best way to put it. It just coming from the coordinated here in Florida, the recount, the caucus, I got home and was just so tired. So I... Jumped back on and was very happy to take a backseat role and actually had a ton of fun. I was running the um, Women's Vote Outreach Program here in Florida, which was great because I spent you know a month and a half, two months just talking to down-ballot candidates here in Florida, of course, all of them women. And last year, we had some amazing women who were running for re-election, some amazing women who were running you know, for local seats and got to work to amplify you know, them in specific media markets, but then also, you know, just got to know them along the way. And so I actually had a blast. I feel like I was one of the very few people that had a blast in the state of Florida last year because it was just very stressful, but I loved it. It was a ton of fun. Yeah. Whenever I talk to someone like you, I just can't help but think how big this country is, how enormous the different numbers of political players and the localities and the states and, you know, all of the interests and how anyone can make strong statements about what is right and what is wrong and what works and what doesn't. And you're just like, in a certain way, a cog in this big system at this point, right? Oh, for sure. I try really hard not to pass judgment on really any kind of program or campaign or whatnot that I'm just really not involved with because everything is so situational. And to your point, it's just such a big country. And I know Florida sort of at this point, you know, but I certainly, what applies to Florida doesn't apply to these other highly competitive states and and districts. I will say I'm very thankful that I have been on the road quite a little bit to be able to kind of learn that myself, but I, I couldn't agree more. You started something called Florida Ground Game. Can you tell me a little about the founding story for that? 
I think the best way to kind of go about it is to take you back on a journey to election day a year ago, which seems truly like forever ago at this point. Of course, I was in Florida um, in 2020. And so just like everybody else had just ordered in a ton of food for election night, had plenty of wine ready to go. And we were watching the Florida results being called, which, you know, results in Florida called pretty early and, you know, was surprised, but not too shocked at top of the ticket stuff in Florida. You know, it just would have been kind of a miracle if Biden would have flipped Florida would have been great, but also would have been a miracle. What I was the most surprised about in Florida um, really was how a lot of these down ballot races played out. And um, there were uh, quite a few state ledge races that I had my eye on that really were, of course, competitive and they were going to have to raise and spend quite a bit of money, but they were in, you know, assumed dem leaning areas. And we really just kind of kept losing one race after another. And I'm in Pinellas County, of course. And the race I uh, was really surprised by and noticed right off the bat was Representative Jennifer Webb's district, which is in St. Petersburg. And for folks who don't know Pinellas <laughs> uh, like I do, that's, of course, a, a really Dem-friendly area. And it tends to kind of be the Democratic stronghold for um, a county that's a bellwether county. And um, and everyone assumed that she would be fine. And unfortunately, she lost on election night, which was really surprising. And there were, a, you know, a handful of other races that were similar to that down in Miami-Dade, over in uh, Central Florida, it was all just very surprising. And so uh, the next morning, because of course, we were still quarantining a year ago, and didn't really have anywhere to go. I started digging around in turnout data, but also voter registration data just to kind of see what happened. You know, I wasn't really quite sure what I was looking for and knowing that there were a lot of components into, you know, winning and losing last year and COVID being a massive one. I was just kind of curious and really after no time at all could tell that in these districts that we thought we'd pull off and we had actually lost, there was a trend in all of them. And that was that Democratic voter registration was pretty stagnant over the past five, seven, 10 years. And they all had the reoccurring theme where NPA or independent registrants were extremely high over the past five years, like 34, 35%. And then Republican registration followed and then Democratic registration was always trailing those two by quite a bit and pulled the same number statewide. And it was a very similar story for statewide in Florida. And so really, you know, after that, I just started, you know, kind of calling around to everyone I could get a hold of, like who's doing voter registration and what's going well and where's the money com coming from? Where is the money going? And I was just really curious. And Kind of what I came to find out is that, you know, a lot of money that comes into the state, majority of the work that's done in the state for voter registration is done through the C3 and C4 table, which is awesome. They're doing amazing work. But kind of parallel to that, I also found out that there really hasn't been a lot of partisan voter registration happening in the state. 
And so that's when I started really digging around in the data and just finding kind of what makes sense um, to be able to help in some of these state ledge seats moving forward. But there's a quite a step from seeing this problem to deciding to make an organization. Why was that the solution that you went to? I want to say, gosh, the past four years, majority of my work has been on, with top of the ticket and on the coordinated side. And, um, you know, I think my, my biggest takeaway of running statewide programs and working with partners is that a lot of times, you know, state ledge and down ballot races, they really don't get the support, the resources, the investments that top of the ticket gets. And so when I was thinking about voter registration and the upcoming midterms and where I could be the most helpful and what does winning in Florida look like, you know, post 2020 coming up on the midterms, that's when I just decided we've got to do partisan voter registration in some of these competitive state ledge districts to either help defend or help flip back. And so put my head together with some folks here in state who have amazing experience. And we decided to file paperwork and launch this organization to do exactly that, which is targeted partisan voter registration in some of these competitive state ledge districts. You said with some folks in state, who who is working with you on this? Yes. So, um, of course, Bryce Barnes, who you know, who's absolutely amazing. Um, she has been in the state for a very, very long time and is also really leaning into national fundraising. And then Anna Cruz, who, very similar to Bryce, has a very long history here in the state of working on campaigns. She was the executive director of the party some time ago. And um, we've got some folks who are kind of non-official partners as well. So we've got a really amazing group of folks who are standing up this program. There's so much to putting together a new political enterprise. You know, one of the pieces is is funding. One of the pieces is staffing, just figuring out what and how you're going to do it. Tell me about like those, how you pulled those things together or where you are on that. I think the easiest thing was really figuring out where we wanted to run program. And that's the piece that I really kind of love. As I mentioned before, I, I, I love kind of digging into data and turning out, figuring out where can we get the most for our investment and where are we going to be able to maximize program here in the state. And um, luckily, that was the easier part. I think the harder part um, was, uh, you know, trying to convince folks to invest <laughs> in Florida, which is, I think, always hard, especially coming off of a couple of really tough cycles, which is completely fair. And then I think the third piece was just, this is my first time launching in organization, I kind of view campaigns as startups. So I'm, I'm used to kind of being able to write a plan and scale it and execute it. But I've never, you know, from beginning to end launched an organization. So there were kind of all of the growing pains that come along with that. And then also just navigating as a new organization in, you know, of course, like the political ecosystem. So lots of growing pains, um, but uh, definitely in a place where we're going to start running in-person program, which is awesome. And then we're actually also running some A-B testing for voter registration digital program um, for a special that's coming up in um, Jacksonville, which is awesome. So, so far, so good. 
which is great. So have you been able to raise substantial money or is that still a goal? I mean, you do have a professional fundraiser on your board, but she's also been raising for Give Blue, uh, which is her her new enterprise. How's that part of things so far? Yeah, it's good. I definitely want to plug Give Blue because it's awesome. We have raised, we are super hopeful kind of going into next year with a lot of folks on board and um, quite a few investors and and um, we're, I'm very happy with where we are. That's what we would call kind of seed capital. So you could sort of prove your concept, maybe uh, demonstrate that you can run an example program or two. It's certainly not going to change the balance of voter registration in the state or even probably in a bunch of targeted districts. So you're sort of one step down the road, it sounds like, in, in building an organization a substantial organization. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, as as we all know, Florida's big and it's also very expensive. And when we were thinking about, you know, voter registration and where we can be successful next year and also knowing that funding is going to be just hard to come by, um, where, you know, kind of those were the conversations we were having when deciding kind of where we could get the most bang for our buck. And that's kind of why we were really digging into some of these state ledge districts that, you know, come within a very small margin, because if we're talking about, um, you know, for example, just running a voter registration program in a seat that's going to be won or lost within maybe, you know, a 1% margin or half a percent, or perhaps it goes to a recount. That is an area that actually isn't going to take a lot of money to have a direct outcome with that race. So if we're talking about a race that is going to come that close, then perhaps we only need to register, let's say, 10,000 new registrants. This is like in the weeds, but let's say you get a conversion rate that's maybe, you know, 50% Democrat. And then let's say 50% of those new Democrats actually turn out. That could actually help flip that seat or defend it or, or really have like a massive impact. And so, you know, on the flip side of that, because Florida is so big, you know, unless somebody really comes in with like a $20 million check to do statewide voter registration, it's really about those surgical areas in the state to find where we can have the most impact, knowing that our budget is not going to be very big. But if all things go according to plan, we'll be able to use a couple of these districts as, you know, as really a test to be able to show folks like, hey, this is a great way to do voter registration in the state. I've talked to a variety of people who have sort of identified a gap, which I think you have in the progressive ecosystem, whether it was the the guy who's, who got the Democracy Alliance together, David Brock with Media Matters. They've identified something that's really missing and they've gone around with the data to say, look, you know, we are not, we don't have what we need here. You seem to have found this in Florida that we're getting beaten in Democratic in, in voter registration, partisan voter registration, you've shown this to people. Why haven't more people like been persuaded to come on board with you? Are there alternative paths that people are thinking about or is it more to do with you or is it that 
they're not persuaded that this is a big problem. What do you see there? Yeah. You know, I, I definitely will say that there are a lot of people in state that get it, which is great. And, and I will say that those are the people that if I have a problem or if I just need to bounce an idea off someone or if I need to send some sort of like targeting to for a second pair of eyes, I definitely call them because they're certainly on the same page as me. I will also say that there have been a group of people um, who really haven't been on board, I think is the best way to say it. And, um, and I will say that, you know, here, here in the Florida ecosystem, and then also I'm sure in other state ecosystems that that will always kind of be the case. I can only assume reasons why I certainly cannot speak for them, but there have been, you know, people who have been really wonderful and supportive and also people who have not been supportive. So, and I I think that that's just probably how it goes when you're, you know, launching a new idea, you're launching a new organization. Just to pursue that a little bit further, because you're being very politic, I can tell. (laughs) Political. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I always come at this from my experience, which is sort of building a for-profit and very, very different, but also entering the political ecosystem because it was in that space. Are there people who would rather invest in somebody else or who uh, have an alternative way of doing this that maybe they can control better or have other benefits from? Yes, (laughs) it's probably the answer. I, from my experience, you know, we launched in May and I've been working on this since you know, a year, a full year. Um, to be completely honest, I've, you know, I've had people in state, um, different operatives reach out to donors, electeds, you know, other operatives and tell them not to work with me, not to donate to me. I've heard them say I'm not experienced enough to be doing what I'm doing. And I think, Probably the the worst thing I've heard is that on top of all these things, they're telling donors, electeds, partners that voter registration isn't needed and that this isn't something that we should be spending money on. If I'm being completely honest, again, there's certainly, I think, a culture of being territorial, having owners feeling the need to have ownerships over money, over relationships um, to the point where it certainly feels as though my success or what I'm doing is almost a threat to what they're doing. You really hit the nail on the head when you mentioned, you know, control. I think that there's just a lot of people who hold very tightly what they're doing and they see new ideas as a threat to that. Well, and that could be for good reason. They could be they could be right that if they ran it or supervised it and they're more experienced that they would do better. They could be completely wrong about that. Most people tend to resist the entrance of new players because they don't know them, they don't have that relationship. They may not they may not understand your talent or the depth of your experience, right? And and so like how so how do you respond to that? I think is the question, right? One can be re- discouraged and say uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to accept being pushed away here and I'm gonna try something different. You can feel more determined and decide to prove yourself and, and try decide to prove 
them wrong. Where are you on that spectrum? I could be up and down in a certain, in a single day on it, but where are you? Oh yeah. Today I like got up, I got dressed, I'm done call time. We're like making plans. I'm answering emails. Today's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's just really, really hard. It's hard for a lot of reasons. I think it is good to kind of vet and question and make sure that people are who say they're doing the work are actually doing the work, that they're being like a good faith actor in the ecosystem. And depending on the day, it's just really, I mean, to be honest, it's just really hard. And I, I think that this is something that, you know, happens in our line of work. Unfortunately, like I know this isn't just a Florida problem. I, I've heard of it in other states. I've experienced it in other states. I, I know it's just kind of a thing that, you know, as a political operative, we all kind of know happens, but we don't really talk about. It's also tough because I understand having worked on probably too many campaigns at this point, I understand the need to be able to work through things internally for the sake of winning and for the sake of pushing progress forward. But the counter to that is that it can't all be, you know, kumbaya for the sake of winning, because if someone is saying these things about me and my work as a woman in this field, this is also my career and my reputation and my livelihood and my mental health. Like there are just so many things about it. And so, you know, to be honest with you, there have been days where, you know, I've had to really kind of step back because it becomes too challenging to think about how I can move forward. Or if I'm grabbing my phone to call a donor, having to pause and think, has X person already gotten to this donor and is he going to take my call? Like it's really, really hard. What would you say to uh, anyone out there that you might even know that has made calls like that? What would you say to people who are blocking you? Maybe this is the wrong thing and somebody should call me and tell me, tell me if it's the wrong thing. But I, I don't think I would really say anything. I, I think that what I do on a good day is get up and do the work. And I think I fall into the bucket of being determined and okay, let's just run this so that I can be able to say that this is a way we can win almost a, you know, prove you wrong, sort of a, sort of a thing. And I, to be also completely honest, I've definitely struggled with, do I call these people? And I have called some, and at the end of the day, I've just had to decide that if someone has an issue with me doing voter registration, probably says more about them than it does me. I kind of fall into the bucket of just focus on the work and surround yourself with people who support you and believe in what you're doing. And, and things just kind of work out um, as they should. Well, what keeps you at it? I mean, uh, there, are, there are lots of options about how you can spend your life. Sometimes uh, when the market, as it were, resists your entry, then you pick another route. And sometimes you just push through because this is what you think is the right fit for you. You think this is a problem you can help solve. You think you can, you can power past this. Maybe it'll take you longer, but you'll get there. Uh, what do you think? That's a good question. I think I'm just so interested in the work. And I, I will also kind of say it's really kind of fun to be able to 
try different things and and see if it works and being able to creatively grow in this space. And of course, this is, you know, a human coming from only working on campaigns where you're kind of like just doing this one thing over and over and over and over until election day and it's done. And I, I really love that. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we're definitely committed to running voter registration through next cycle just to see again if it works and to your point if like it just gets to the point where I'm just really banging my head against the wall then that's totally okay and we'll pivot from there I think what kind of keeps me going is I'm just really interested in the work and also kind of a side point to that is that I'm I'm not trying to take my own horn but I'm good at it and I'm experienced enough to be doing it and I just really really love it it's the appropriate form to, to toot your own harm when you're trying to make something happen. And when you believe that you can, I mean, you have a, a, a board member who is, is a former chair of the Florida Democratic Party. To what extent can she open these kind of doors for you, having been in sort of inside those rooms before? What advice do you get from your your experienced board members. Oh yeah. I mean, and I'll also say that I, even before we started doing this, I would call them for advice and help. Um, and you know, I, I think that something I really love about their perspective, it's that it's two women who've been doing this much longer than I have that have gone through way more than I have. And they really kind of bring that experience to the table. And so they're just really great about navigating through the internal ecosystem of the of politics, which is very murky and can be sometimes, you know, tricky, but they're also good about just reminding me like, Hey, just focus on the work. You know, I, I think I will say this, I'm a big overthinker. And so um, sometimes I think this line of work is like the worst place for me to be. But, you know, I think if you're really just focused on the work and let the work speak for itself, it just really works itself out. And they always kind of keep me grounded that way. Well, I have a really soft spot for people trying to make something happen in the space who seem to have the right motivation and are willing to put in the time, usually over multiple cycles, to get a new substantial organization going. I know it doesn't always happen. It's a complicated world, but I honor what you're up to. Is is there a question that I haven't asked you that I should have? What kind of grain I'm using for my sourdough? <laughs> Just kidding, sort of. But no, you've asked every question. I've laid everything out. This has been really wonderful. Well, I I do appreciate you talking to me about it. I know that that it's complicated to decide what to say when you're faced uh, with with a challenging ecosystem. You know, I have a sense also that you're not saying th- some things that you could say out of probable wisdom. So uh, I hope that you're happy with how you've couched this. And I hope that, you know, people will actually change their mind about you over time, the ones that need to, and the ones that, that think you're doing the right thing and are on your side will stay with you. Thank so. you. <laughs> so anyway, um, anything else you want to say? Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> to you too. That was Adrian Bogan. Adrian is at floridagroundgame.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.